All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers presented by Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out on a Monday. I hope you all had a great weekend. I think we just saw the best basketball I've seen the Lakers play in a very, very, very long time, Roz, especially when you counted against the talent that they had available. I guess we could look back to some games, maybe against the Phoenix Suns early in that playoff series where they looked this good, but this is the best I've seen them look relative to their talent in a very, probably since game six of the 2020 NBA finals. This was uh, uh, just an incredible, almost wire to wire performance. I'm pretty stoked about it. We were texting during the game. There's so, so much to talk about. And I look mm-hmm. forward to getting to the bottom of all of it with you. But first of all, buddy, how are you doing and how was your weekend? It was good. I am hyped for this one, man. This is, uh, to me, the win of the year. I guess the other one could be our win against Cleveland earlier before the Cavs became who they were. But no, this is well, the win of the year, man. Utah's a good team. Uh, they came in tonight, I think, wanting to continue. They were on a little bit of a losing streak. They won their last one in Denver, second game of a back-to-back for them. But no, this is a big win, man. You go... They went up, Utah came back, roaring back, went up 10, and then to come back in that fashion, that fourth quarter, I think just highlighted a lot of stuff that we can build on here. But man, it's a really great win. I'm, I'm excited to get into this one. Yeah, so to start, I want to talk about you know the strategies we use against the Jazz. And the man. reason the reason why I think they're super, you know, uh, you know, relative or, or you know, they're super important to projecting forward with this team because the Jazz do. The Jazz are extremely well coached, and they mm-hmm. run a, a, a very difficult scheme to guard. And they have pieces that are, you know, similar to some of the things we're going to see from other teams in the Western Conference that we might see in the playoffs. And you know, you and I talked a lot after the last game against the Nuggets about how the the dumbest thing about what the Lakers were doing with their small ball groups was playing too many small guys and people think of small people think of small ball having to do with the center position. And it does, you know, on its surface, but the aggregate size of those lineups that succeed in the league are usually big. Like that Clippers lineup. That was so good. It's like you're getting Marcus Morris and Nicholas Batum and, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So yeah, there's no center, but everybody's everyone's huge outside of that. Right. And so that was part of it. And then also with the Lakers small ball lineups, they were trying to run traditional pick and roll coverages with LeBron underneath the basket. And, and one of the issues with that is that in those situations, you're asking all those guards to, to run through so much contact and they're small players and they're struggling with it. So you and I talked about how this team needs to switch more because when you switch, it allows you to make up for your size deficiencies by stagnating the opponent. This is something that I talk about all the time on the show with you. And there's such a there's a there's a key reason why I believe in this strategy, because the Lakers had even with their bigger lineups that they played today in terms of the size of the wings that they played, you know, a lot more Austin Reeves, a lot more Stanley Johnson. Even with that, the Jazz were bigger, but their Mm -hmm. size wasn't able to punish us to the extent that it made up for what we were able to do to them with our speed and our versatility on the perimeter. And that's the key, because. When you switch everything, you turn a ball movement offense like the Utah Jazz into an isolation offense. And they had 17 points in the fourth quarter, five of which were total garbage time. So you held them to 12 points in a pivotal basketball movement, one of the most dominant offenses in the league, because you switched everything, shut off their actions, forced them to try to create against a set isolation defender, 
And as a result, their offense fell to pieces. That, that philosophy is modern basketball. And then on the other end, the Lakers were running a five out concept, which removed Rudy Gobert from the equation, forced him to guard in space where he struggled with, with Stanley Johnson and his low center of gravity and his ability to kind of, you know, navigate beneath Rudy Gobert with his speed and with his strength. And so we're going to dive further into it, but I think that this style, you know, it's very indicative of what this team needs to be. What we need to be at our best is this a big small ball lineup that plays our bigger wings and that adapts, uh, that adopts and uses and leans into the modern defensive concepts that work in the NBA today. I don't think, obviously the jazz didn't play as well as they could have, but I don't think it was a complete coincidence that they played mm-hmm. as bad as they did because we directly attacked their weaknesses, Raj. We had purpose, right, with what we were doing. Like we watched that Denver game. There was a lot of stuff that just didn't make any sense. We weren't going anything with the personnel. I thought tonight we just made Gobert guard in space. And Stanley Johnson, obviously, a big part of that. He was aggressive. I love that, you know, Stanley, he doesn't pass up jump shots. And I think that has a domino effect to to his game where he's also aggressive with the ball. And LeBron saw that. He started screening for him, right? He was able to get to the basket. We started Dwight Howard in this game, and Dwight wasn't great through the, throughout, but I thought him just starting kind of set a tone. I thought he played well. We had a nice coverage. He, 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 was an, he did a nice job switching as well. We switched pretty much one through five. The only guy we didn't really switch with tonight uh, was Malik Monk, but I thought just our coverage was great. We were flying around. Utah couldn't get any open shots. Uh, I thought Dwight took the rim away. Uh, we played him. We, we had a little bit of our scheme where we played Dwight against their small ball. You saw that as well, right? And like mm-hmm. he kind of took – and he took the basket away. I thought it was great to see. Um, and then we just went small. We had Stanley Johnson playing the five, LeBron playing the five. We found minutes without LeBron and Russ. Well, I guess we'll get into later. But it was just a great energy win, man. And Utah is a really good team. They're very similar to Phoenix to me where they have counters to everything. Their whole offense is predicated on a Gobert screen and roll. Um, and I thought Mike Conley kind of got going with that. He was They were kind of hunting Malik Monk in that way. But – we just had a great overall scheme, man, and LeBron was incredible again. We had the apology right from LeBron James, <laughs> like I think a couple hours earlier, and he comes out tonight with this show. It was just an awesome team win, and I think this is stuff we can build on, man. Austin Reeves, I think, needs to play more. Stanley Johnson needs to play more. I think the young guys are definitely showing out that need to be on the floor. Austin Reeves, THT, Stanley Johnson, like those guys need to play um, if you're not going to get effort from other places. And, you know, Avery Bradley started again. He had that big three. I thought he struggled throughout this night. But just seeing those guys kind of turn the game around, the Russell Westbrook big dunk, uh, I know he kind of struggled throughout, but I thought that was a big momentum changer. Uh, and, you know, th- I've been tweeting, Jason, there's a good team in here. And this is kind of what I mean. You know what I mean? Like this, <laughs> but we're, we're not as bad as we've shown. And, and it's very clear when we have it and when we don't. Uh, but we need to play this hard, like every night. I'm not expecting us to win every night. I didn't even expect us to win tonight against Utah. Even when we were up six, I was still kind of questioning it at halftime. But this is how we have to play, man. And you see the effort, and you see guys flying around. Austin Reeves with the floater to a tip layup, like those kind of stuff is, you know, those kind of that kind of energy is contagious. Stanley Johnson, that energy is contagious. Uh, you know, his play on Rudy Gobert, and we'll get more into that. But just a good win, man. It's, it's exciting. Uh, to finally have like a fun space, I guess, to talk about, to yeah. talk about this. We get to be positive for once, man. Like, <laughs> for once, man. So uh, I do want to start with LeBron because he, he, he was the, the guy who, you know, may or may not have been the catalyst with his, with his tweet, or at least an attitude change. And I, I want to look at the box score for a second because, so LeBron has 25, seven and seven, which is not a eye popping stat line by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a bad one, but it's not eye popping. Uh, 
really quickly, uh, really quickly, uh, 25 points again tonight. That's 14 straight games with at least 25 plus. Uh, that's uh, the current record leader in the league. I heard them bring that up in Spectrum as well. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting about it is he was below 50% from the field and mm-hmm. he was below 40% from three and he couldn't make a free throw. But I thought it was one of his best games of the season. And this is the huge issue that I have with, you know, box score watching. It's something that I get into with people all the time when we're talking about basketball. It's like, heck, it's something I've been dealing with with LeBron fans so much over the course of the last week because I've been critical of the way he's played defense and everyone wants to be like, oh, he's averaging 34 over his last 12 games. And <laughs> right, what I right. keep saying is like, hey, man, like there's so much more that happens in a basketball game than a grabbed rebound, a driving kick three, or you scoring the basket, scoring the basketball. There's so much more that goes into winning a basketball game. LeBron was freaking everywhere tonight on both ends of the floor, flying around making plays. And then in that fourth quarter lineup, with Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, Stanley Johnson, and THT, he basically didn't have the ball in his hands and completely controlled the game because he understood that the Jazz were struggling with how to navigate a coverage with him as the screener. And as a result, Stanley Johnson kept getting ahead of steam because they wanted to go underneath that screen. And he was, LeBron was setting it almost down at the semicircle, at the, the bottom of the semicircle. But again, what you saw tonight was a great example of like, LeBron playing at the level of the best players in the world while having 25, seven and seven shooting below 50% from the field, shooting below 40% from three and can't make a free throw. That's the, that's the idea that I'm trying to hammer home here. Like when Mm -hmm. I'm, when I'm talking about what, what shows me that LeBron is engaged and that he cares, this is what I'm talking about. This is what a good LeBron James game looks like because against the best defenses in the league, he's, probably not often going to have incredible shooting nights. You know, they're grind out games like we saw against Phoenix. They're dog fights. They're complete boxing matches. And, and LeBron is such a weapon in that type of environment when he embraces that. And so I wanted to give him some, some credit because mm-hmm. he put his money where his mouth was. He, he said he was sorry for the way things were going and that he promised things would get better. And then he came out and he played, in my opinion, his best game of the season, regardless of what the box score might say. So I, I wanted to give him a shout out. No, he was great. And I think, you know, I, I love that Frank kind of noticed that LeBron's energy was kind of, and we talked about this in the space as well, right? LeBron starting at center, it was just not something probably that was going to be viable for a long time, for a long stretch. And he did it for a nice stretch. The Lakers won like four in a row and he was great defensively in those. But I just love that, you know, starting Dwight allows him that, to be able to kind of work through his game in that way where he doesn't have to be the full-time crazy defender. He was awesome though on that end. I thought all night there was a few plays, maybe he didn't get back to transition, but for the most part, I thought he was, you know, just a turnover creating, uh, creating chaos on that end. And then he played the center for a few minutes, right? He played it next to Stanley Johnson in the fourth or, you know, with the second unit. And that second unit is really interesting. I'd love to kind of get into that. Uh, where again, THT, Austin Reeves, uh, I believe it was Malik Monk with them uh, as well. Yeah. And Stanley Johnson, they just switched everything in that. And they kind of gave up the lead again, I believe in that third quarter. I thought, you know, Utah turned up the pressure. Talon was the only ball handler where we took Braun out in that situation, but it's just a nice kind of change up. And I think the Braun at the five being a change up instead of like our just main pitch, uh, that makes a world of difference. And I thought, you know, against second units against, you know, a lot of team second units, that's a tough cover and Utah was, was unable to sustain that. We build our lead that way. Um, and I think that's the way this team has to go, man. Both of us have been begging for more switching. We got it a ton more tonight. It was really no- noticeable. It jumped off the page and it just confounded Utah, you know, like 
Jason, we looked like the Clippers in the playoffs last year. You know what I mean? Like, like, like Stanley Johnson in that Terrence Mann role a little bit, right? Where they try mm-hmm. to hide Gobert um, on on a guy who's a non-shooter, and they give that guy the ball and just say, "Hey, you create." And Stanley Johnson has enough ball handling, you know, skill to where he can attack the basket. You saw, I think you tweeted about it as well in transition. He saw Gobert back, and he just went right into his chest, and he was able to score. And I think he has that kind of you know skill level in him. But it was cool to see us kind of out scheme Utah. I thought uh, in this way, and we're not going to be able to switch against like every team like this, but against a team like Utah that's so that relies so heavily on screen actions to to get their offense, they just looked befuddled, right? And they were you know trying to kick out when they, there was no kickouts there, trying to find guys on the roll. I think it's funny. Gobert gets seals, and I thought Stanley just a great did a great job scramming them in the post. Where like uh, when Malik Monk would be down there, he throws him out, and he he gets back on Gobert. He was just incredible. But man, our our defense was good, uh, and we hit threes early. We went cold in the third, and to me, it's even more impressive, Jason, that you know Utah went up ten, and uh, it looked and like they were going to run. Yeah, and we fought all the way back with with Stanley at the five, LeBron, and I think Austin Reeves was on the floor too. This is a good Utah team, like this. This isn't like the Atlanta Hawks where I was saying, you know, I, I think they're good, but, you know, their record doesn't display that. Utah's a really good team. I believe they're 20 and 10 when Gobert plays. So mm-hmm. just that just gives you kind of a picture of, of what they do. But, no, we, we confounded them. I think this is a blueprint for what we can do at least until Anthony Davis gets back. More switching, go small, play our younger guys, play the youth, um, have some exuberance there. And I think we can kind of pick up a couple more wins here. Yep, I 100% agree. So I, th- I think we need to move a little bit further to Stanley because he was the star of the show tonight. And ironically, his little offensive flurry in the fourth quarter <laughs> distracted from what would have been a good game without any of that scoring. Because the way, right. that, the way that Stanley battled Gobert physically Man. on both ends of the floor was so impressive. Beyond like stuff that just goes unnoticed. Like On so many of those fourth quarter possessions, a long jump shot was going up. Because perimeter players on the Lakers were doing their jobs and forcing guys to take tough shots. And here come these high rebounds off the rim. And Stan is just in there fighting with Rudy. And when the most important thing is in order for you to hold your ground, you can't jump. And so he kept Rudy on the ground in that fourth quarter by staying connected to him in these box out situations. And there yeah. were there were. I, I have to go back and watch the film, but it seemed to me like there were at least a half dozen plays in that fourth quarter where Rudy could have had an offensive rebound if literally any other Laker other than maybe LeBron was there matched up with him. And then on the weeks on the uh, on the perimeter, those guys Austin and and Malik and THT were coming flying in to to secure the rebound while Stanley was down there fighting. And again, Stan, we we can get into it like the LeBron as a, as a screener thing, setting that low screen there around like seven eight feet from the rim around the free throw line yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. did a really good job of of disrupting uh utah's defense and letting stanley who's really like we've talked about is just a big strong athlete letting him get ahead of steam go into the rim that obviously was working but stanley was just doing so much else on the court i wanted to give him that shout even early in the first half he was doing that thing dwight always does where when he's kind of like uh, backpedaling against the guy driving to the basket. He's just kind of swiping down at the basketball with like good instincts without losing his balance. And he had a couple of steals in the first half like that. Just, just an unbelievable game as you know, our guy Pete from Laker film room, he always describes uh, Stanley as a big, strong athlete who runs around and does stuff. And I love that description right. of him because that's what it is. Because when you have that type of physical frame and that type of athleticism and you're playing your ass off, 
it's like a wrecking ball on the basketball court and, and just good stuff just follows everywhere. And we need so much more of that. And I'm hopeful that tonight is that final kick in the butt to try to get more minutes out of him uh, from Frank. Yeah, man, he he needs to play. I thought he didn't play enough in Denver. I think he had like 13 minutes uh, in that Denver game. He's just a big small ball five who plays hard, right? And, you know, everyone wonders why Avery Bradley starts every game. And my, you know, rationale behind that, that Frank is going to is Avery Bradley plays hard. He doesn't play well every night, but he plays hard. He has a baseline level that Frank Vogel expects, and he gets that every night. And you're not going to get the ceiling that Malik Monk brings or even the, you know, chaos that Austin Reeves can bring, but Avery Bradley, he just trusts him. And I think Stanley Johnson has kind of proven to me that he plays hard pretty much every moment he's on the floor. He's always running back. There's never a time where I'm like, oh man, Stanley kind of jogged back. No, he's always in a full sprint and he has good defensive instincts too. And I think it's unfair to just say that he plays hard. He's like, he has defensive instincts that are there that are perfectly fit to me for a small ball five, especially next to LeBron. And there were nights, like I'm very high on Donovan Mitchell. I think Mitchell's one of the best like ISO guard scorers. He's a playoff killer. Stanley was able to switch on him and stay in front of him. And he's strong enough. Mitchell's a super strong guy. He's strong enough where he couldn't overpower him to the rim. And you saw Donovan Mitchell take a bunch of like 40 footers right tonight. And a lot of that because the guy on the other end is LeBron James and it's Stanley Johnson guarding those screen actions. And that's just a lot tougher to me. And Donovan Mitchell is probably going to be, can be a lot better obviously than he showed tonight. But I'm just saying like, just in a way, I think this team, this is how this team needs to play. I love Dwight in the rotation. I think that just helps. Uh, that just helps LeBron a lot. I thought LeBron looked like he had a lot more energy as well on the defensive end, not having to be the full-time center. All this stuff is connected and you saw the energy kind of just pick up and this team kind of goes as LeBron goes. I think Pete said that as well in the LFR pod. You saw LeBron be super energized, but just play him around the youth, man. I think we're seeing that that's so necessary on this team. This is an old team, but it has youthful players that can play. And I think, you know, Reeves and Stanley are are part of that. And I think their minutes are just going to go up as as we go here. But Stanley was uh, definitely the name of the game tonight. He was incredible. They put the ball in his hands. I always say that, you know, if you show aggression to me, LeBron's going to give you the basketball. Like LeBron can kind of feel it, right? And he could tell that Stanley was, you know, aggressive. Stanley was shooting mid-range pull-ups. He was, you know, taking his corner threes. Uh, even if they weren't going in, I just think that shows a level of aggression that has a domino effect on the rest of your game. When, you, when you're when you a passive player, that kind of shows up in all parts. And to me, when you're an aggressive player, that shows up in all parts. And even though the jumpers don't go in, just the fact that he takes them to me kind of leads to the attacks at the basket that he has. So, yeah, he was a star of this game for sure. Yeah, and one last note on Stanley that I think is really interesting. He is, you know, one of the unique – he's a very unique case of a, of a young, talented basketball player because – we see so many examples in NBA history of the, you know, Jimmy Butler type kind of guy who like you have these great physical tools, but you kind of grow up as like a forward slash center. So if you, yeah. in, in the NBA, you kind of turn into like a wrecking ball type of wing. And then over time, you get more and more skilled and then you develop into this like, you know, perimeter initiator type. That's your Jimmy Butler, or like Kawhi Leonard type. Well, Stanley Johnson's kind of the opposite because like, he actually growing up was a very good perimeter player. You know, he was one of the, one of those hoop mixtape heroes, one of the guys that was doing all the crazy stuff on YouTube that was getting millions of views and came into Arizona as a star. And then basically turned out as he got further in the game that he wasn't skilled enough to be that type of perimeter initiator. So then he defaulted to, okay, I'll be the wrecking ball forward, you know, playing for Toronto, doing all these defensive things. But because of that background that he has, 
he actually has a good amount of polish. Like that move, uh, I think it was pretty late in his fourth quarter run there where he like switched to his left hand after gathering on that drive from Jordan Clarkson. And like Jordan was in behind him and was loading up to try to block him off the glass and, and Stanley just switched hands and went to his left. Some of Is that where he finished on the right side? Did he finish on the right side? Yeah, he finished with his okay. left hand on the, on the right side right. of the rim. And, yeah. then, and then, like, some of the footwork stuff, the way he keeps his balance, like, his his comfort level to for LeBron to be like, hey, for this matchup to work, I want you to be the pick-and-roll ball handler here. <laughs> right. Like, for that to work, he, he needed to have the background that he had as a perimeter player growing up, you know, uh, uh, coming up through high school. And so I thought that was a super interesting element there. Like, you know, will Stanley have nights like that offensively that that often? No, because he's just not consistent enough with those things. But, you know, that, that type of, you know, versatility that he has as a guy who can attack a closeout and make a play for a teammate or go on the occasional offensive spurt just kind of raises the value that he brings because he always plays hard and because he does the dirty work. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of his game. You, you had mentioned Avery Bradley. I'm with you. He plays hard. He needs to be in the rotation. I think he's an NBA player. I think he belongs on the Lakers. I think he belongs on the roster. However, he needs his role needs to be swapped with one of those guys. That's yeah. just, that's just been better than him. He needs to be the guy who's playing, you know, one shift in the first half, one shift in the second half, you know, because you understand that you can get competent, you know, on ball pressure defense and things like that in those moments. But he just too often is getting punished for his lack of size. And then he actually is one of the worst off ball defenders that we have on the team. He loses focus. He loses sight of his responsibility. If he's on the ball and he's pressuring, he has some success there, even though he gives up a lot of straight line drives, at least he's disruptive and makes yeah. guys feel uncomfortable. I, he brings some value but, you know, when we're evaluating basketball players, you know, there's every player on the team brings some value, right? Like even DeAndre Jordan brings tallness, you know. But the thing <laughs> is, is like you, the guys who start typically bring more value than the guys who don't, right? And so my thing is like leaning on him so much, like pulling Reeves after he had that magnificent start to the fourth quarter to go back to Avery Bradley, you know, even when Avery Bradley was having a rough night. That goes to show you that there's like a rotation pattern there, right? And it's like, okay, Avery starts and he closes and then Austin kind of dispels him. That needs to be flipped. You know, Austin needs to start so that we have more consistent energy to start these games. And Austin needs to close because he's just a better basketball player right now. And don't get me wrong, uh, Avery made a huge shot, uh, rubbed it in my face because I was on Twitter complaining about him (laughs) stuffing back into the game. But the point being... Like these are these are the little kinks we have to work out. Obviously, like even if you can replicate this effort moving forward from the whole team, even if you can replicate some of this schematic stuff moving forward for the whole team, there are little details that have to get worked out. Like I actually disagree with you about Dwight. I don't even think we'll get into that tonight. But the point is, is like there are little details that we still have to work out here. And that Avery Bradley, Austin Reeves dynamic is one that I think needs to get worked out. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, Avery Bradley kind of fits like the drop coverage type of scheme. And I think he fits now well with Dwight Howard. That's why I thought that starting lineup, I thought they defended at least well together. My issue with Avery Bradley, to me, he doesn't really fit a scheme when you're trying to switch everything. Right. And when it's him and Malik Monk exactly. out there, 
And when it's him and Malik Monk out there, it just there's a breaking point to when you're playing small, right? So if you're already playing small and the guards you're playing are small, like that that there's no advantage to that, right? Plus Avery Bradley is a shooter, but he doesn't space the floor in the way like a real shooter does, right? He's not dynamic as a shooter. He's a he just has to be completely wide open to shoot. And in small ball, you kind of need guys who can kind of be not three level scores, but at least can take it off the bounce a little bit. That's why I just think his that fit there is ugly, especially the Russ Monk and Avery Bradley kind of you know it's kind of like that's just really tough to me especially defensively when you're trying to switch everything those guys kind of take the wrong angles on screens all the all the time and those are guys you have to kind of cover for and you have like and i always say when you have like two to three guys to cover for on defense it's tough so i kind of understand it but you know reeves played eight minutes in the first half he ended up playing 13 in the second half i thought he came out because he kind of played a longer shift like that's my you know just glass (laughs) half full optimism there why reeves didn't close the game i wanted Mm -hmm. to close but i just thought he had a long fourth quarter shift so i'm thinking that's why they pulled him the game was kind of in hand right i think we were up like six uh when when reeves came out it was like two two or three minutes left i think um and we were you can kind of see the game being under control but yeah man i think austin eventually takes those minutes like this it's just too loud um i want to ask you about tht because i think it's interesting I think we are – tell me if I'm wrong here. I think we are actively trying to find him on-ball possessions. And people are telling me, are we trying to find him on-ball possessions or are we trying to win games? Obviously, you're trying to win games. But I think you have to kind of you know, create lineups around your player skill sets. Like that's just a coach's job. And I think finding a couple minutes here where THT can kind of have the ball in his hands. And you talked about LeBron. He's becoming a full-time screener in a way that I just didn't expect. And you see it also in the THT lineups. THT got the ball in a five-out setting. We always say that, you know – we always say about Russ, get him five out spacing, but THT especially can also kind of, uh, he can kind of be better for it if you kind of put him in some spacing lineups. And with Stanley at the five, Stanley's not a pure shooter, but he spaces the, the, the game out for him and just screen actions where he can get to the basket. I thought he was under control attacking the rim. You see his jumper getting a little bit more comfortable every game. I think he hit another three tonight. What'd you see from THT? Cause, and his defense as well. I thought his defense on Mitchell in the fourth was, was super impressive being able to take off the drive and still, I think he got a hand on the blo- on the shot or not. He doesn't get it. He didn't get credit for a block. Oh, he did get a credit from a, for a block on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was wrong. Uh, but yes, I thought his defense on Mitchell was good. But what'd you think from THT tonight? It was such a classic young guy up and down type of game because he had mm-hmm. that stretch in the third quarter where he made a couple of uh, offensive mistakes in a row and like missed a closeout in the in the in the corner for a three that led to a timeout. Like you know he had some down moments, but he, then he also had all of these up moments, which which is typical. Now I think I think there's an interesting dynamic to why LeBron is setting more screens. So I have a theory about this, and I'm curious to to, to see to, to see what you think. So mm-hmm. obviously with a guy like THT as a spot up shooter, and he has actually been shooting a little better of late, although he's still not a great three point shooter. But what you're seeing is, you know, I think LeBron understands that like, hey, when I catch on the perimeter and I turn and I look at the defense and THT's on the floor, or even like some guys like Austin Reeves aren't really particularly getting guarded super close, or Russ is the same thing. Stanley Johnson, there were stretches there in that fourth quarter where I think this is the big reason why LeBron went to the screening position there, is they would put Stanley in the corner and Rudy was just kind of standing at the block, you know, not really paying much attention to Stanley. So what I think LeBron is seeing there, one of the consistent themes throughout LeBron's career is he likes to be able to give the ball to someone else. He's always like that. It's, I was in a discussion with someone about this today. One of the most common misconceptions about LeBron is that he's not a ball hog. You know, when he does have the ball, he does commandeer the possession. That is true. But what he likes to do is commandeer a possession, commandeer two or three possessions in a row, but then he wants to rest while he's on the floor. And 
one of the ways that I think he's seeing that through taking advantage of spacing and also getting him getting himself a chance to rest is what if I set the screen? Because if I set the screen, they absolutely are going to find a way to stay attached to me because I'm LeBron James and THT has the basketball. Stanley Johnson has the basketball. You have to guard him because if you don't, like Stanley did, I'm just going to go down the lane every time and lay it up. And so it's an interesting counter to spacing issues. It's something we talked about with Russ a lot. If you get in, if you get him either as a screener or with the ball, you're so much of a threat that you have to be guarded. And so I thought that was an interesting counter tonight. Like, okay, you know, I'm not shooting the ball especially well. I need rest because I've been defending super hard. I need to stay effective and I need our offense to stay effective without me staring down the defense 25 feet from the rim with everybody packing the paint. So what if I start setting the ball screen? What if I take Rudy Gobert's man and turn him into the ball handler? So now Rudy freaking Gobert is guarding a pick and roll ball handler. If I do that, I might be able to rest on the floor while also taking advantage of some of the offensive limitations I spot up shooters of some of the guys that I have on the floor. It's super interesting because I think, you know, if there's one another thing with LeBron, he doesn't he wants to win first and foremost. And I thought that that was really interesting the way that he kept spamming that Stanley Johnson actually because he doesn't care if he doesn't touch the ball. He right. doesn't care that he only had 25 tonight. Like he just wanted to win, and the best way for them to win was to do something janky to to screw with Utah's defense. And putting Rudy Gobert in an on-ball defense position completely threw them off. Yeah, yeah, it's like throwing Gobert in screen actions, right? Like, that's kind of the way you want to beat them. And I thought, you know, it's not just tonight either. LeBron's been moving towards a screener for a lot of these games, uh, a lot of these, especially when we go small Malik Monk's the ball handler a lot, even like screening for THT. I think it's just a nice wrinkle to our offense that we're finding here. And I've always said like, you know, the losses were what they are, but I think like we've, we're starting to kind of find things that work offensively. We just need to have to have like some baseline level of defense to kind of keep up with it. And tonight obviously was was better than that. I don't think we're going to, you know, play this level of defense every night, but we can kind of keep up to it because our offense has been scoring at least for the last uh, throw away that Denver game. But our offense has been kind of scoring. And I think LeBron being a screener is kind of interesting with it. And I guess I guess we can kind of move this to Russ because I think it's fascinating. Um, obviously, I think you think he had a worse game than I did. Uh, the plus minus is isn't very favorable to him. But you know, five for fourteen is what it is. Um, he's still kind of you know in that low turnover range. He only had two no, two turnovers tonight. He's still kind of adjusting right to to this new kind of play style. And I think it's fascinating. And tell me, you know, again, if I'm wrong here, but I just feel like Russ. We are kind of moving Russ more and more off ball. And we are kind of putting his possessions in very, uh, in, in very purposeful, purposeful places, right? So we're starting to just clear the left side for him and just having him ISO, you know, on the left side. And we're clearing that whole side. So we just throw all the other four players on the right side. Russ has a one-on-one attack the rim or get to his bank shot. But it, it's crazy to me how off the ball he is. I remember watching the first quarter. I was like, man, Russ hasn't really initiated offense um, in a long time. And, I, you know, I've been a proponent of this. It's just interesting to watch it kind of play out in real time as, you know, LeBron also moves to a screener here, putting the ball in Malik Monk's hand, putting the ball in THG's hands, just other ball handlers, right? You know, we're moving more off ball. Do you, are you seeing that as well as we progress here uh, in these games? Yeah, you know, in the accepting the most likely reality that Russ is going to be on the team for the rest of the season, this is the best way to use him. 
That goes without saying. I mean, I think it's unfortunate that a guy making this much is being relegated to essentially a role player in terms of just the predicament as it pertains to the Lakers and their, you know, circumstances off the court. Um, but that said, like in this predicament, this is the best way to do it. I, I, what I, what I have been calling out with Russ is like, Hey, like another good team, another good defense and five for 14, you know, like these, there's a consistent theme at this phase of his career that when he plays against good defensive teams and good defensive players, he's just not as impactful, not nearly as impactful as he used to be. And, you know, and so that, that concerns me, right? Because, you know, in order for the Lakers to win the championship with the depth that they gave up with the hustle that they gave up in that trade, they need Russ to play like a star, right? I mean, if you're going to beat these good teams at the top of the West, if you're going to beat these good teams at the top of the, the East, I think you need more out of Russ than what you're getting. And I don't think he can give that. So that's, that's just the way, the way that I look at it. Russ played fine tonight. I was a little annoyed with him that he missed a box out on the first possession of the game after talking the way he did in the, in the press conference. And look, like I'll, I'll never lie to you guys, like from objectively throughout Russ's career, I've never been a fan of his brand of basketball. So I look at this with bias and I'm, you know, I encourage you to find someone else who's more of a fan so that you can get the alternate perspective. You know what I mean? But like, so when I when I watch Russ, I, I I his I find his brand of basketball to be way less impactful than other people think he is. I don't think it's a coincidence that the team had their best stretch with him off the floor. You know what I mean? I think I think with I, I always talk about fit. You know, like when when LeBron and AD, especially when AD comes back, but this team, the best version of this team is you know, is what you saw in that fourth quarter, like this modern switchy five out attack. And I don't think Russ is attentive enough to the details, the way that guys like Austin Reeves are, or Stanley Johnson are in terms of their responsibilities. Like I was talking about, there's a huge difference between like loud hustle, which is loud plays and real hustle, which is I never miss my responsibility ever. That's, that's real hustle. And I think Russ struggles in that area. And I think that's why the team you know, it seems to me, at least for me personally, when I've watched this team over the last few years, they're at their best when they primarily lean into the strengths of their superstars and then have guys around them that are true hustle players, players that never miss their responsibilities. I think that's when they're at their best. So that's just my view on that. And Russ, even though he had a bad game tonight, I mean, not bad game, but even though he had a meh game, in my opinion, tonight, even if he had a few good games in a row, I would continue to go back to that ideology because that's just the way I view the game. So that's just my take on it. Again, like I encourage you find somebody who's more of a Russ, you know, positive, someone who's much more positive about Russ to get another angle on it. I mean, you give some of that Raj, but I think you're a little closer to me than some of the Russ stands. But that said, like, it is interesting to see the way that they use him. My thing is like, if you're going to put him off ball off the time, cut his minutes and severely limit what he can do offensively, then why in the hell did you make this trade to begin with? <laughs> you know, like, like that would be my question, but you're right. Like assuming he's going to be on the roster for the rest of the season, this is the way you have to use it. Right. And I'm so far past that. Right. I'm like, okay, he's here. The trade was made, you know, I'm trying to figure out. Um, and I can see them try to figure out too, why it's so, 
so fascinating to me that, you know, we're starting to put him even more off ball than we have. Like, go watch that first quarter, the first few possessions there. It's pretty much, you know, Russ on the weak side while we run, like, little screen actions for guys to come off. Even we ran some offense through Avery Bradley, which I thought was a little weird as well. But, you know, even Avery Bradley having the ball in his hands more, Russ is more as a cutter now. Russ is more like the secondary attack. And I think that's where he's best. And I think, you know, you can still win that way. And to me, Russ doesn't have to be a third star. He definitely has to be better than he's shown. You know, he was, uh, what do you go again, 5 for 14 tonight? I thought, like, you know, four of those misses were, like, bad shots. Like, they were just, you know, pull-up, contested jump shots that, you know, were no reason. I thought the dunk again tonight, that was the most uh, – that was the most athletic play I've seen from him this year, right? And I think that, that was a cool moment. Yeah, yeah. And I saw him, you know, kind of jump and be able to dunk on Gobert in that way. He was able to, and I think some of that also, you know, we had Dwight. Dwight had to be, you know, guarded on the lob. Gobert backed up and he got a dunk on him. And I think, you know, playing, I, you know, we always think like give Russ space, but I think he does like playing with a traditional center as well, which is, you know, it's kind of intu- counterintuitive in terms of spacing, but I think it's just something he's been used to, you know, playing with Steve Ed Adams for that long and stuff like that. I think he's just used to playing with traditional centers uh but yeah it's just it's interesting to me how we're kind of going in this direction and like i said i'm a proponent of it it's just fascinating to see how the team is kind of working it but putting him on putting on there and i think his impact can be in different ways i think switching kind of induces a little bit of better stuff uh, i don't think he's a guy you want chasing around screens you know chasing mike conley around trying to you know pick him up in different areas i like you know be able to switch make him fight you know make him win physical battles i think yeah that's what you have to do with him but you know i, I think he's kind of slowly get getting there again the plus minus wasn't great for him tonight but that's the kind of move we're going to this low turnover rust this is what you kind of get it's not going to be pretty um but i just think like it's fascinating to see where we've gone i guess with him not just on offense but on defense as well it's a it's a transition from him from the player that you know you thought you were trading for but this is not the guy you're kind of getting right now uh you're getting more of an off-ball player even more than i even thought uh we'd get to so i just want to like ask you about that because i think it's interesting uh how the team's kind of also go in that direction it's super interesting, but again, it's about it's about leaning and in, leaning into strengths, you know. Yeah. And I mean, the, moving forward, this is the most interesting thing to to keep in mind because uh, you know one of our friends, one of our followers, just shared with me a tweet that from David Benjamin that said that the uh, Anthony Davis MRI came back clean, which is mm-hmm. good news. So his ligament is healed, so that's good news. So that means he is progressing in the right direction. Although I anticipate that he'll be out for at least another couple of weeks. Um, uh, really yeah, quickly but, though on, 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 on Anthony Davis uh, I believe he was cleared for full contact yeah so uh, oh really yeah yeah so he was cleared for full contact wow that's cool. awesome yeah so, so hopefully sooner than later <laughs> sooner than yeah, later hope, hopefully not long um, but again so this is the thing because you know the Lakers also pretty much took it to the Miami Heat in a very similar game without LeBron mm-hmm. um, a couple months ago and like you said, there was a, that game against the Cleveland Cavaliers, which, as we know now in retrospect, was a much better team than we thought. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the key here is show me what you're about. Did you guys finally have a wake up call after 42 games of an NBA season? Or is this just another blip in, uh, you know, in a what was a basically a shitstorm of a season, you know what I mean? And so that's going to be the, the curious thing to, to watch, uh, to watch moving forward in terms of just how serious these guys are. I did want to hit on one last thing guys, before we get out of here, because I think Raj, you and I kind of fundamentally disagree on this. So I didn't want to play Dwight tonight at all. And I'm not, I don't mm-hmm. think it's necessarily a coincidence that he was minus nine now, or at least not in the Gobert minutes, I should say, I would have staggered him against Gobert. Now, the reason why, because I agree with you, I think Dwight's a good player. 
I also think that Dwight uh, um, is an awesome way to keep LeBron from playing center all freaking game long. So right. I agree with you about everything that you say about that. I also think while Dwight was on the floor tonight in the 20 something minutes that he played, he did a lot of positive things. So I want to frame it like that to start. However, I, the reason why I think the Lakers went minus nine in those minutes is when you play a traditional center against the Utah Jazz, you play directly into their strengths. The reason why the Utah Jazz have had so many, so much regular season success over the course of the last two seasons is the fact that even though they don't have good perimeter defensive players, like Mike Conley, not a great defensive player. Jordan Clarkson, not a great defensive player. Joe Ingles, kind of on the tail end of his career. Bogdanovich, he's okay. He's had his moments. He can do well in certain matchups, but he's not a great defensive player. Royce O'Neal is their best defensive player on the perimeter. He's a little bit undersized against bigger wings. Rudy, Go or excuse me, Rudy Gay is a little bit inconsistent with his effort. They're not a great defensive team in theory when you look at their personnel, but they've got Rudy Gobert. And so when you play into their system, they, they can succeed with you with their elite defensive scheme of just chasing people off the line and funneling towards Rudy Gobert. And one of the problems with playing Dwight Howard in those minutes and the reason why I disagreed with it is like, for instance, we were minus nine, but in that first shift that he played with the starters, LeBron and Russ each made two pull-up jump shots off the dribble. Mm-hmm. And Avery Bradley made a three. Our first 13 points were all on threes, four of which were contested. So the or we're not on threes. Four, all our first 13 points were all on jump shots. Four of the five were contested. So my point is, is like some of that's a little bit of fool's gold. Like if two of those miss, maybe the Dwight minutes instead of being minus nine or minus 14, and now we're having a different type of conversation. So when when we're talking strategy, I'm really curious to look back at this game in the lineups, because I also disagreed without going with, with going without LeBron and Russ at the same time. So, because I know they had a little bit of success in the first half, just because they were playing so much harder than Utah. But then that same lineup was an absolute catastrophe in the second half, simply because they just don't have any offensive decision-making on the floor. You're depending a lot on THT and he's just very young and a good veteran, a good veteran team is going to make THT look bad. So I'm curious, I'm going to look at the numbers later tonight or early in the morning, but I bet you tonight in the minutes when Dwight was off the floor and when we also had at least either LeBron or Russ on the floor, I bet you we were extremely dominant. And that if the only reason the game was close was because of those stretches that I'm referring to. So again, this is a sign for optimism because I know you've described all the things that Dwight did great. I'm not trying to undercut that, but in my opinion, our offense faltered in those minutes beyond what Dwight does good because in those minutes we were playing into the Utah Jazz strengths and turning ourselves into a jump shooting team, which is not what we do really well. But again, like fixing those little details, strategically playing Dwight at the right time, strategically playing LeBron at the right time, never staggering so incorrectly that we have no stars on the floor. If we can fix those things in addition to the effort, in addition to the modern scheming, in addition to this engaged two-way LeBron, that's when I start to get really excited. That's when, when you're saying there's a good team in there. That's what I see as like the good team potential. Get rid of some of the own you know, self-sabotage stuff and play into your strengths more. That's when you can start to see this team be more consistently good. 
Yeah, and the numbers, you know, support your claim here. I'm just looking at it, you know. So uh, Dwight only played three minutes, you know, where he was on the floor, where Gobert wasn't on the floor. So uh, he played 18 minutes, you know, matching up with Gobert. The Lakers were a minus 32 um, net in that in that state. Uh, in those minutes, um, the Lakers had an 89 uh, offensive rating. But I think, you know, a lot of that was the beginning of the third. Uh, to me, we just we stayed with that starting lineup too long. To me, and I thought, you know, Avery, I thought we missed a lot of open threes. Avery Bradley missed a bunch of open threes, I thought, to start um, that quarter. And I think that kind of, you know, pushed the numbers where they were. But it's going to be a trade off all the time. I just think, you know, do I have it's just a change up, right? It's just being able to be versatile. It's just to be able to throw different looks so we don't have to play LeBron at center the whole game. We don't have to play Dwight at center the whole game. We didn't tonight. Like, we don't have to choose one, right? We don't have to be big and we don't have to be small. We can kind of move as the game flows. And I thought we did that. Tonight. And again, that's why I think Dwight Howard starting was just it was great for LeBron and he didn't have to start the game, you know, already the backline guy. Um, and I thought, you know, it just kind of limited their attacks and he was good in the small ball lineups. The Lakers killed those where Dwight was on the floor. It was a short stand. It was like three, four minutes. Um, but we were like a plus 20 in, in those minutes. But like it. It just like it took away Utah being able to just attack the rim. Because what did we talk about? When we went small, what do teams do? They just hunt the rim, right? We saw De'Aaron mm-hmm. Fox do that to us. John Morant do that to us. Uh, who did we play last? I don't, oh, Denver. Uh, Denver just made every open three, and we just quit in that game pretty early. But, you know, other guards just attacked us when we played small. And I thought having Dwight out there at least limited that. Just have some change-ups um, and have some versatility in the lineup. And that's what I thought. Dwight, you know, the numbers don't match up with him playing well. They support your kind of claim there. I didn't know we got killed that much in those minutes. Um, it didn't feel that way, I guess, to me. But, but yeah, it's just a change-up that we can kind of go to. I think, you know, giving LeBron a little bit of a rest there. And obviously when AD comes back, he can fill that role full-time, which, again, goes to your optimistic point there. You take Dwight Howard out and you put maybe the best defensive player in basketball. Like, what can this team become if, if they can kind of build on this? So, Dwight, LeBron James on the court at center without Dwight Howard tonight, plus 22. Wow. LeBron, James, LeBron James on court with Dwight Howard at center, minus 11. Uh, we played 18.4 minutes with Dwight on the floor with LeBron and 18.9 with LeBron on and Dwight off. Just, just curious. And again, I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong. And, and when it comes to single game plus minus two, yeah, like that, that can be weird. It's just a theory. It's a theory about the way that I think you should attack. Like Dwight is an awesome backup center because he does so well playing against backup centers, right? And, and bullying them. So I like leaning into that. One, uh, my last note that I had, and it's ironic because you actually just reminded me of it, talking about Denver's three-point shooting. You know, everyone was like, I saw some people on Twitter going like, oh man, like the Utah Jazz missed some shots. And because I think they went 0 for 9 from 3 to start the to start the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly. And then in the Denver game, I heard a lot of people say like, oh, like they just made all their shots. You know, I this is my biggest disconnect with the analytic community. There is a certain amount of uh, varying outcomes. That goes without saying. You know, like for instance, Steph Curry is randomly having a year where he's shooting poorly when he's wide open. That's I, I don't really know how to rationalize that. I just think it's random. You know, I don't think it's associated with anything. I think it's just random results. But I'm a big believer in the fact that the defense actually does have a good amount of impact on three point shots going in or whether or not they uh, whether or not they go in. And when I watched the Denver game, I saw the Lakers giving up on rotations and giving up a ton of wide open shots. There were some contested ones in there. And whenever there is a contested one, you have a tendency as a basketball fan to be like, oh, man, like that's such BS. I can't believe he made that. And it's like actually over the totality of the game, those those contested shot percentages 
tend to kind of mimic pretty closely what the with, with the amount of open shots they get because they're directly related to comfort and rhythm. If you let a team get comfortable and make a ton of wide open shots, they're probably going to have the confidence to knock down the big ones later. And the reason why Utah – there were a couple wide open ones in that fourth quarter that they missed, but a lot of the shots that they took in that fourth quarter where it's like, oh, man, like – you're uncomfortable. Closed, uncomfortable. Yeah, like, yeah, like, oh, LeBron closed out on Jordan Clarkson and he kind of shot that from like 27 feet with LeBron's hand in his face. Like, mm-hmm. that's not a good shot, you know, or like, you know, or uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell taking a quick early shot clock three because the Lakers have disrupted his rhythm all night and he's frustrated because he hasn't had a good night and he's just trying to make something happen. It's like, okay, that's good defense leading to a miss. And, and, you know, like I said, there's some chance there. There's some relying on some luck there that, that takes place when it comes to three point shooting. But I think the Lakers, I think the Nuggets shot extremely well from three because the Lakers played a shit defensive game. And I think the jazz shot poorly from three because the Lakers played a great defensive game. I think they're directly related. And I think when people try to gloss over that and try to act as though like the Lakers got lucky on tonight's game or got unlucky against Denver. I think that's just a piss poor attitude. And I think it's, it's deflecting and it's, and it's not taking responsibility for outcomes. And I think that defense is absolutely related to it. I think the Lakers, the Lakers earned a poor Utah jazz shooting night tonight. I firmly believe that. Absolutely. Were you able to rewatch the Denver game? I'm not sure you went back and watched that monstrosity. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> but uh, um, I may not Bones, even want to. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no. I just hate myself. But Bones, you know, Bones, Bones Highland, like he was contested, but not really, right? That dude was comfortable all night. Utah was absolutely uncomfortable this whole game. Like I, I felt like every shot they were kind of there was a hand in their face, not just a hand in their face, like a guy sprinting at them, and you know you could see it. The passes. I think they turned the ball over, Jason. Like seven times in that first quarter like i mm. think like just because of the switching right and even the jumpers that they shot i thought were all contested so i'm with you on that and utah is probably better than this right like i'm sure they can play a better game i still think they're a very good at least regular season team we'll see uh in the playoffs and, and raj we also get anthony davis back exactly so yes. both ways. absolutely there it goes and utah you know they were missing i guess hassan Whiteside, but they were for the most part healthy right they had their yes. full full core of of guys that are, that are going to play when it matters so i mean this is the biggest win of the year i don't think it's close like this yeah and really quickly in the miami heat game remember jimmy butler got hurt in the first half if i remember correctly like, so yes yeah. it, exactly and cleveland you know they were a young team at the time like the, on that mm. mobley i think barely played any games uh so far during his season but no this is the biggest win of the year man Le- utah's legit um and this is there's stuff to build on this and you know you can't say this turn the season around when you're 542 games in like you you know, that, that'd be kind of, uh, that'd be misguided to kind of say that yet. But I think there's stuff to build on. We play Indiana and Orlando next. Two winnable games. Like, you can you can win both of those even without AD. So I think, you know, there's stuff to take from it. Uh, hopefully AD comes back pretty soon on this road trip. And then we can kind of build from it, man. This was an exciting one. I agree. Did you have anything else on your list? I'm finished. Uh, really quickly, I want to ask you, am I just seeing things or did Ariza move a little bit better tonight? Like, did he find at least, he didn't find both of his legs, but did he find one leg tonight? Like, did, did the right leg kind of, you know, <laughs> arrive to the, <laughs> did the did the right leg arrive to the season? Like, I'm watching him, like, you know, relocate. Russ would drive in the paint, and I see Ariza sprint to the corner to get the, to get the ball from him and shoot the three. Like, do you think he arrived from a little bit, at least like maybe one leg arrived, maybe he didn't get both legs back? Am I seeing things with that? So I agree with you. It was moving better tonight, but that, <laughs> that almost pissed me off a little bit more because, you know, 
Trevor Ariza just knows better, man. He's been around the league long enough to know that this team wasn't playing hard enough to win. And don't get me wrong, I think conditioning is part of it. I think all that, his age, getting into a groove, getting into rhythm, I think that's all part of it. So I'm not trying to undercut that by any stretch of the imagination. But Trevor's defensive effort in his first, you know, whatever it is, half dozen games coming back from COVID was so poor. And and him suddenly turning it up a little bit when the rest of the team turns it up makes me feel like it was a little more him and a little less conditioning. So that part's frustrating. But I do, you know, I'm I'm a believer in the Ariza fit. I think I think I think you know when this team, if if the idealized version of this team comes to to, to fruition and they consistently play hard, they lean more into wings. Anthony Davis comes back, and the talent chasm between them and all their opponents goes away. In that universe. I think Trevor Rees is a fantastic fit, but if, if the team trends more like they did against Denver and it turns into more of a, you know, a shit show, then his lack of athleticism at his age and his lack of enthusiasm could become a, like a, a real negative. But I, I, I definitely notice what you're talking about. Um, I think he, I think he helps in the sense that he doesn't make mistakes and I think he's a good – I think he could, when he really gets going, be a good kind of like plug-in guy as that fifth starter, kind of like Wesley Matthews was for us in a lot of lineups last year. I'd look at him as kind of just like a 6'8 version of that as long as he plays hard. Um, but, yeah, he definitely played harder tonight, and I, I did like that. Did you have anything else on your list? Yeah, last thing. You know, he was our starting small forward, right, tonight. And, again, mm-hmm. just to kind of fill a little bit into the Optimus Cup, uh, we don't really get a chance to pour into that cup very often, so I'm going to continue to do it. He was uh, – <laughs> He was one for eight tonight, one for six from three in 27 minutes. So you basically got zero offense out of your small forward. Um, and Avery Bradley, I think, also didn't shoot well. Uh, I don't remember what he shot. But, yeah, and you were able to beat a really good Utah team. So that's just – that's the context I want to kind of keep from here. We won this game with our defense. Like, you know, we hit a couple big you – know, tough shots, like you said, a couple pull-up threes in the first quarter. But we won this game with our defense, and I want to kind of hammer that. And that's something you can definitely build on, uh, even when Anthony Davis uh, – before Anthony Davis comes back. Yep, I 100% agree. There's no possible way to look at this game and not be enthusiastic. Like, yeah. even if you told me, like, the Jazz are in the locker room, like, knowing in their heads that they gave 50% effort, I'd still be I'd still be thrilled by the outcome because when you factor in – the actual predicament the Lakers are in with their superstar power forward, not uh, available with their Russell Westbrook trade being mostly uh, like, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who's thrilled with the outcome of the Russell Westbrook trade. I mean, I think, I think most of us, I think are ranging from either like me, like completely like disappointed and upset about it to you, like not liking it, but at least accepting it, <laughs> you know, like there's, <laughs> those are like the, the varying outcomes there. Well, like when you factor that in and the fact that our, our mid-level exception guy hasn't played a minute, probably won't play a minute because he had Man. another setback today. Like when you factor all of that in for us to handle the Utah jazz on national TV, when they were fully healthy, the way that we did after giving up the lead, and falling behind by 10 points, I take it as a huge positive. Um, Me too. But, yeah, so that's all we got for tonight, guys. This is going to be on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, like always. This will also be on our podcast feed here in about 30 minutes. We always appreciate your guys' support and hanging with us. We will be back for a busy week of Lakers basketball on Wednesday. We will see you then. Enjoy the rest of your week, guys, and we'll talk to you in a couple days. Thanks, everyone.